Hello, and welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast for episode 104 with Bill Clement. Yes, the famous one from professional hockey and much more. My wife has been telling me to do personal interest stories on the Wise Athletes Podcast. I have resisted because that just didn't sound interesting to me. Well, it turns out that I just had to meet the right person who had the right story. Through my wife's work with the Ark of Haywood County in North Carolina, I met Bill Clement, who at first appears to be just a regular guy, though fit and athletic with a deep voice and a calm demeanor. But Bill is much more. On closer inspection, Bill turned out to be the number one truth teller in sports and life. A hockey legend, sportscaster, actor and author, and frankly, a wise athlete all in one package. In this short episode, Bill shares his path to wisdom in life, as well as in finding joy in physical activity throughout life. We also talk about The Ark, which is a nationwide nonprofit organization that deserves your attention and support. You might think Bill's story is about being a professional athlete, but it isn't. It's about the challenge and learning that came after he couldn't be a professional athlete any longer. His lessons are lessons for us all, for anyone, but particularly for athletes like us who use the joy of using our bodies as a part of enjoying a meaningful life. All right, let's talk to Bill Clement about learning well from hard knocks and finding a mindset for happy athleticism in whatever form gives you joy. Bill Clement, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Awesome to be here. Awesome to hear my name being mispronounced. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, not by you. It actually is by me. I grew up, first of all, I'm the only member of my family that escaped Canada and got to the U.S., uh, and that was because of my hockey career. But I grew up Bill Clement, and just to fast forward, when I retired from hockey, uh, out of necessity, I had no job, no career, no house, no income. I was bankrupt, and wow. I'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah. I, I took up, uh, I started an acting career, and when I started the acting career, I was already getting some interest from ESPN about auditioning for a job as color analyst for their hockey broadcast. And when I got a chance to do a game, I was living in New York as an actor, and I did not want to be recognized as a sportscaster when I walked in to a serious acting audition. Huh. So I said to the producers at ESPN, would it be okay if we pronounced my name Clement, thinking that it was drastically different than Clement, and that no <laughs> casting director that had any sense at all would ever put two and two together. And the, the broadcasting thing grew to my main income, and the acting, it, it started to diminish in its level of income and importance. And I ended up stuck with a mispronunciation of my name. I grew up Bill Clement, and now I'm Bill Clement. And it's your own fault. That's right. It's of my own okay. doing, so I'm okay. okay. I'm okay with well, it. It's worked out pretty well. Yes, I would say so. All right. Well, thanks for that backstory on that. And for anybody listening, yes, it's that Bill Clement. And, of course, anybody who's a longtime hockey fan will know your name and your voice. I just want to say thank you for agreeing to uh, be on the show. I have to say that in preparation for our chat, my reading up on your life and your book and talking with people who know you, I have gotten a glimpse into who you are beyond the famous athlete and announcer and actor and speaker and author. And, and so I just want to say here, and I hope you don't mind if I say that you are a wise and a kind man who people admire because you put energy and hope into their world. You make people, including me, want to be a better person. Thank you for that. That's 
probably as nice a compliment as anybody has ever given me, and I really appreciate it. Um, the one thing that I do strive to be is, is kind. I haven't always been. Uh, also, I'm very emotional, and sometimes when you know when the triggers are snapped and the buttons are pushed the wrong way. Um, but I, I will I will tell you this as well. When, when I finished the book and decided to sit back and read it, I remember after reading it, sitting there going, "Wait a minute, did I do all of those things?" <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, reading my own book, I I understand I never s- stayed in one place very long, and I had so many twists and turns in various careers that I was just so fortunate to be able to be successful in in a number of them. But I would not have been as successful, I don't think, in my later life careers, such as acting and professional speaking and broadcasting, ESPN, NBC, etc. Had I not failed, I don't think success teaches you one-tenth of what failure teaches you. Hmm. And I don't think I would have been equipped to, to really fight it out on the streets with in some really competitive fields. Like the acting field is really competitive. Hmm. But I, had I not failed, I don't think I ever would have been tough enough I probably would have admitted to failure and quit uh, sooner than, well, I ended up never, I never quit. I changed directions, but I actually reformulated in my mind what, what quitting was. And I don't think if you just change directions and go as hard as in another direction that you can really classify it as quitting. Mm. It's a directional change. And I think in life, as we get older, depending on the on the physical challenges that we we pile onto ourselves uh, and the goals that we want to achieve physically or athletically, that some of those 45 degree turns, if not 90 degree turns are vital. They have to be, you have to build them in. Yeah. I, I don't think you can, if you said when you were 10 years old, I'm going to run a four and a half minute mile. And then you got kind of close to it when you're 18, 19, and then you're 30 and you haven't done it yet. And 40 and 50, if you're still chasing a four and a half minute mile, you should have taken a right turn someplace along the way and, and modif- yeah, yeah. modified what it, what your goal was. It's, it's only realistic to do that. And it doesn't represent failure. It represents a realistic change in direction to something that is now achievable. I can't imagine anybody setting goals for themselves in life that, and I, I know people like this, I sit there and I go, what? That That's, it. okay, good for you. Good for you. I never want to... It, discourage anybody's goals and aspirations. But you really think you're going to be able to fly to the moon without a spaceship? You know, I mean, that's, that's an exaggeration, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, sure. I think we have to be realistic. Be realistic. Yeah. Okay. So you're touching on now what I would like our conversation here today to be focused on. Again, we, we since we only have a little bit of time together, I had to pick one thing. And I wanted to pick something that would really be pertinent to the audience of the Wise Athletes Podcast. The people listening here are, as I said, older athletes who are looking for a pathway to longevity and health and sport. When you say older, how old? I don't actually know that. I think people my age, and so uh, that number's getting bigger as I get older, but I would say, you know, in the 40 plus, maybe 45 plus kind of a range, it's when people start to notice that they aren't what they used to be athletically Mm -hmm. and they start to compensate and sometimes they quit and decide that 
well, it's not worth it anymore if I can't hit PRs. But I think the people here listening are interested in what you were talking about, which is this not quitting, but changing direction, being realistic, but still looking for what is possible so that you can still have passion and joy and being an athlete, right. you know, enjoying sports, enjoying your body in whatever way is compatible with reality. This is sort of what I'm interested in us right. talking about. Does that make sense? It does. And, and you, you hit a, a, an age demographic like in the 40s where men particularly, I think, will start to see a, a real decline, the, the real, the true decline in physical ability. I hit obsolescence in the NHL. I played, pro, I was a pro player for 12 years. I retired when I was 31 and I, most of my confidence had completely atrophied because the last three years that I played, I played for a coach who couldn't stand me. And no matter how hard I tried to convince him that he could trust me in situations on the ice. I mean, I'd, I just played in an all-star game. I'd won two Stanley Cups in Philadelphia. I played in two all-star games after that. And when this coach, Al McNeil, came to Atlanta to coach the Atlanta Flames, and subsequently we all moved to Calgary to become the Calgary Flames, ah. there was nothing I could do to change his mind. So I was I walked into our general manager's office a couple of weeks before training camp. Our GM was Cliff Fletcher, longtime GM in the NHL. And he had made many changes to our roster that summer. And every time he made a roster change, I'd call him and say, Cliff, it's Bill. Where where do I stand in all of this? You're making a lot of changes. And he'd say, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Everything. Oh, yeah, you're good. It's all going to be good. <laughs> Two weeks before camp, I walked in and jokingly, to jumpstart the conversation, because Cliff's kind of stiff. We used to joke about Cliff not uh, being able to just make social banter. He was pretty uh -huh. stiff. So I walked in talk. to try, yeah, small talk wasn't his best sport. So I walked in and tried to, tried to jumpstart the conversation. I said, well, Cliff, am I still part of the organization? And there was a long pause. <laughs> oh no. And he, and he looked at me and he said, no, you're not. We're phasing you out. <laughs> phasing me out. See, the big issue with this exchange was I was kidding when I asked the question. He was dead serious when he <laughs> provided the answer. Ouch. So, yeah, and I, I decided I could have gone to Hartford to play for the Hartford Whalers or to New Jersey to play for the New Jer Jersey Devils. But I, my, my confidence had, had atrophied quite a bit. And I thought, well, I'm going to make a clean start right now and get into something else. And that is when I acquired the rights for Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama for a Canadian restaurant franchise called Grandma Lee's Bakery and Deli. Huh. And within two years, I, I plunged headfirst into corporate and personal bankruptcy. My marriage fell apart. Wow. I lost my home. And I was lost. I mean, I was really lost. Except the man that lost more money, I had a limited partnership. The man that lost more money than anybody in my venture was more concerned about my emotional situation than he was the money that he lost. And he came a couple of weeks after we closed the doors to the restaurant, came to my little apartment, uh, the home was gone, and he presented me with a copy of Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. And it has less to do with financial riches than it does life success. He told me how to read it, 
He told me when to read it. He told me how to yellow line it, highlight it, put other highlights for little 15-minute reads. And it became my Bible of success. And because of that gesture, that one man, and funny, I'm wearing one of his shirts today. He has 200 health clubs across the nation called Workout Anytime. Nice. Um, and are still very close friends of his. But that, that was a juncture of my life. And, and I'll tell you what happened. I realized I missed the feeling of exhaustion, huh. of pushing myself to exha- exhaustion, which happened every practice, every game. I, I was not a show horse as an NHL player. I ended up with 148 goals and I forget how many assists, but um, a couple of hundred assists. So I was a workhorse, a plow horse, more than I was a show horse. And I loved the feeling of exhaustion when my body had nothing else in it. So I still was able to create that feeling. And that was kind of my, it wasn't competing against anybody. It was kind of just competing with myself to see if I could push myself hard enough and long enough to recreate that feeling of exhaustion. And it turned out to be pretty easy. And I can tell you something else, Joe, that, that's really interesting that I realized after I retired, and I wish I'd known during when I played. Performance confidence and self-confidence are really different things. Hmm. And my whole career, except for one coach, I was not allowed, nor were my teammates allowed, to feel any good about ourselves when we lost. Hmm. We were we, you weren't allowed to laugh, weren't allowed to smile. You got the crap beat out of you in practice the next day as punishment for having not performed well the night before. And it became, I, when I learned from a friend of mine who was a psychologist said, you know, you didn't have to feel bad about yourself just because you lost or didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve that week, that month, that day. And I thought, oh my God, I wish I'd known that when I played. Hmm. I wish I didn't have to feel like a subhuman slug if I had a bad performance. Because it didn't mean, just because I played poorly, didn't mean I was a bad person. Uh, and boy, I'll tell you what, for anybody that's getting that's aging and that is still trying to do some of the things that they did when they were younger and not achieving them, I think there's that danger of falling into that gorge, that, that valley of despair, because they've never redefined, repositioned, re-evaluated what they should be accomplishing. Right when you th- when you think well I I should be able to do this I did it in the past I think I think as we grow older we have to constantly be reevaluating what our realistic goals should be hmm. and if we if, if we refuse to be realistic I think we're destined for heartache because you're going to think you can still do it and you know what most of the time we atrophy we get older. And I've always tried to, I want my body to be able to do many of the things that it's been able to do, including run a chainsaw all day. <laughs> you know, to me, that's an athletic endeavor. That's that. So because of that, wanting to do things such as that, wanting to at least hike a mountain. Um, I've had 18 surgeries. Oh boy. When part of my body is not working right, I'm proactive. People say, no, but you don't want that surgery. I said, well, I can't walk mountains. I can't hike if I don't have this surgery. So I'm, if, here's the deal. Make sure, the, make sure you get the right surgeon. Uh-huh. Make, make sure that you get the right surgeon for the right surgery. Make sure that surgeon does. My big question is, how many of these surgeries do you do in a month? And I say, I do one every couple of months. 
Mm-mm, you're not my guy, <laughs> right? I want three, four, five, six a week. Okay. And, and then make sure that the success rate, there, there are statistics on that. So like anything else, be a real uh, conscientious consumer, uh, really. When, like when you stand there looking at, well, what kind of case of beer do I want today? Or what kind of mail? You know, I want Hellman's or Duke's mail. What am I going to do today? Make sure when you're selecting somebody in the in the medical field, you're a real conscientious consumer. Yeah, I guess people ought to put as much care into selecting their surgeon as they do in selecting their car or their refrigerator, right? Eh? And their and their tomatoes and their cucumbers, <laughs> all of that. <laughs> Same idea. Yeah. Okay. So this is good. I think that the thing that I think is common. You know, we talked about people feeling down on themselves. I think that in general, it's common for people to just sort of have a negative attitude about getting older, right? They don't like it. They maybe have feared it or dreaded it for a long right. time. And now yep. it's it's here and I can feel it and I'm I'm going to fight. Okay, let me just admit, that's sort of my attitude. I'm fighting. So I'm not accepting anything. I'm fighting back. And so that gives me motivation. I don't want to lose, right? Right. Now, I also don't want to die, but I don't want to lose against this monster who's after me called aging. And so I'm trying all kinds of things. But what my wife says to me is, she says, I don't actually think about getting older except when I hear you talk about how you're fighting it. (laughs) And so... I'm pretty sure that I'm doing that wrong. I need to find more, a more, more grace, more acceptance while I am also trying my hardest, trying as hard as I can to accomplish what I can, looking for a path toward continuing to use my body in a way that gives me joy in my life. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right to you? It sounds kind of right, but if you're if you're fighting getting old. You ain't going to win. Mm. You're not going to win. I'm not yeah, winning. What I, what I tell people all the time is nobody's getting out alive. Okay. <laughs> Th- this just in, folks. Nobody's getting out alive. And I tell people, first of all, I, I hate it when somebody says, doesn't it suck getting old? And I, I say, you know, actually, I consider it to be a privilege. I just heard the other day a player that I played with with the Philadelphia Flyers passed away. And when I look at team pictures... And I see the number of players that I played with. I'm 72, but they've passed away. I'm, I don't live a super clean life. I got to tell you, I eat right, I believe. I got 10 pounds that I've n- almost, in the last 10 years, have not been able to get rid of. I weigh 210. I want to weigh 200. There you go. But, and I enjoy, uh, I enjoy martinis. And I, I enjoy staying fit and I tell people that I know Father Time is going to win. My mission is to delay the loss as long as I can. Mm-hmm. So every decade, I've noticed every decade, there was a knee replacement. Then the next decade, there was something else. And then vision. And I just go for the surgeries to try to make sure my body can hold up as, as long as it can. But I think we have to be realistic about understanding what success is like if you said i want to i want to succeed you know i still want to succeed even in with in age so what what does that look like mm. what does that look like to you joe mm. 
You know, does it look like, I mean, does it, I've always felt that one, one of my assets that I use in staying young is my attitude. I, I'm an enthusiastic guy and I'm an incorrigible pes, uh, optimist. I don't like pessimism. Uh-huh. So I always think something good is going to happen. And I always try, if I'm doing something that, that, that I have a feeling, this might not go as well as I, I think, this long hike. You know, I might not even make it to the end of the hike. But what, I've already, what I always do is I plan something that I know is going to be fun after the hike. So I always have something to look forward to. And I think in any athletic endeavor, going back to the the performance confidence, self-confidence, I always tried to have something like, you know, with my my wife at the time. Uh, by the way, my, my wife hates it when I say this. We, My wife and I have each been married three times, huh. and we just had our 38th anniversary. Congratulations. And I'm I'm proud of that. She hates me saying that because she sees that being married three times as failure. I see being married 38 years to the same woman after my track record as being something very positive. So yeah. I always try to plan something that's enjoyable after something that I know is going to be difficult, something that, uh, it, that I know I may succeed at, something that might not be as successful as I want it to be. I know I'm going to be smiling at the end of it because I got something really, really fun to look forward to. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what pro athletes really are. Pro, and, and I think this is a positive for pro athletes if they can get over that hump of retirement. We are kids trapped in men's bodies. Hmm. That's what, that's what, I know that's what professional hockey players are. We're children trapped in men's bodies. We never really had to grow up. You kind of have to when you retire. And if you can make it through that transition period where you have to earn a different kind of living, you have to learn different skills. You know, you said that I I have wisdom. I appreciate you saying that. But I think that experience is what's supposed to deliver knowledge, right? And that knowledge hopefully boils down to wisdom if you reflect on it often enough. So... I take it as a huge compliment if somebody says, you know, he's got a lot of wisdom. He's a wise guy. It means that I've had a lot of experiences, gained a lot of knowledge, and hopefully some of that is transitioned into wisdom. Yeah. Well, so for you, obviously, it's true. You know, just listening to people talk about you, that's how I know. I think it's not inevitable, unfortunately, that a lot of experience will turn into wisdom. I think that the mindset you bring to your experiences is what crystallizes the learnings into a, w- a way of thinking about those experiences right. and, and then thinking about the future and dealing with more setbacks, which inevitably will come, whether it's in an injury or a, a failure to accomplish a goal or some other part of your life. So. And this is really what I'm trying to to leave the audience with a clue from you about here today, a clue from me, as to how to get that mindset set. Maybe taking yours is maybe not the right way to go, but to find their own, using you as an example of using failure as something that you had to get through that forced you to reevaluate yourself, forced you to think about you know, what you were good at and not good at, and what did you want to accomplish, and, and how would you go about accomplishing it? You know, and we've talked about that already. As we focus on the thing that's sort of on my mind is, 
this business of aging, you said nobody gets out alive. That's that's the perfect answer. We know that if if the goal is to defeat aging, well, that's a bad goal because you're going to fail at that. One of the things that I think is maybe the right direction for for me and maybe other people who are listening in here is is sort of what my wife seems to be good at. She always is scheduling events for herself, challenges. By events, I mean physical endurance events that she's got to then train for, and they're in beautiful places, and then she gets to go do these things. So all of the training every single day which maybe can be kind of a grind, right? Because you you never really can succeed if all you're doing is training. You you know, you just work out as hard as you can and then you're tired and then you try to recover as good as you can and then you work out again and so you're you're just treading water. But if you've got this event to look forward to, that's this fun thing that you were talking about at the end of your hike. And then, and this is the add-on, then she's got the memory of it. And by marking time with positive, you know, emotional memories, it feels like life is long rather than I can't remember anything that I did, you know, for the last year. And that year went by in a heartbeat. Yeah. It's almost as if, um, well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey's book. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the seven habits is starting with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember a kid, uh, I used to narrate industrial videos, which just meant non-broadcast. You never saw them on TV, but training videos for large corporations and things of that nature. And uh, a a gentleman was a producer named Nat Eisenberg in New York. And Nat called me one day and he said, I got my nephew Todd wants to work for the NHL. Do you think you can help him uh, talk to him, give him some, some guidance, some advice on what he should do? And I said, uh, sure. Well, Todd called, and I didn't return his call because I realized at different junctures in my life that I I wanted to help people so much that I found myself doing all the work oh, and, and them not doing enough of their own work. So I wanted to, I started to test people. If he really wanted it, he would call me back, and he called me back. And this time I took his call, uh-huh. and he said, I said, well, Todd, what, what would you like to do? with the NHL. He said, anything. I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, Todd. I can't help you. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I can't help you chart a course to nowhere, mm. right? We, you have to have a little, that, that little light flickering on the horizon that is your end goal. Where do you want to end up? Only, you can only create and chart a course to achieving something if you know exactly what it is you're going to achieve. Uh, and it's the same. And, and, and he ended up doing so. Okay, I'll call you back. And he called me back and we put together a marketing program so that he could stay in front of people without being obnoxious, try to be somewhat entertaining, you know, with your little communiques that you, you send off in the mail with cards or a little email or something. Not every day, not every hour. You want to be top of mind, but not obnoxiously present every waking moment. And he got the job. Fantastic. But I th- yeah, but I think in in athletic endeavors, it's it's also so important to be very specific. And as we get older, the notion of winning the race is not as important as 
besting your your best time like what you you're you're basically we're all competing with ourselves as we get older the last time what yeah. was it now this the super competitive and the super elite athletes they're they're such an extreme minority they can train to win the race but i think most people are crazy if they think they have the ability to win the race when it's at, at an elite level yeah right yeah. train to beat your best time and and like like the wife, right? She wants to enter this event, but she needs to train for it. That that becomes a journey, right? As opposed to a blip. And she can have the memory of the journey, the memory of the training, memory of member, uh, the memory of the event, all which can be positive. And if it's not positive and the race doesn't go like she thought it would go, she at least has that great thing that she was looking forward to at the end. I'm going to have some fun at the end of this one way or the other. And then spend time of reflection. What could I have done differently? I think as we get older, we have to be really philosophical about what works, what doesn't work, whose opinions do I trust, and what do I, what do I want to use as my benchmark, my measuring stick? Because if it's just winning and or losing a race, there's only going to be one winner and everybody else is going to be in a dejected heap of mush someplace yeah. unless they have the attitude that, you know what, what are the positives I can take out of this? What can I do differently to make it better the next time? I, I, I've always believed in taking a real strong philosophical approach to any victory or defeat. When you win, how did I do that? What did I do that was important that I have to duplicate? And if I didn't win, could I have won? And what did I need to do to perform better? Mm -hmm. So self-reflection always, even me as an NHLer for 12 years, me as a professional speaker, me as a television broadcaster, I always, I worked for, I don't know, 30 years for ESPN and NBC and NBC Sports Philadelphia. And at, in the start at the, of my career, at the start, I was in quest of the perfect broadcast. Hmm. And I realized about 10 years into it, the perfect broadcast has flaws, mistakes that you make, that you handle in a fun way that has an audience member listening to you saying, that was pretty goofy, that mistake they made. <laughs> you know, if you because we, you know, you become self deprecating and, and roll with it. Then there's texture. Then there's, uh, I did an acting class in New York and I did a scene and this, this acting coach named Joan C, S-E-E. I really, I really was angry with her for a couple of days. But I did this scene and she said, well, you're a real slice of white bread. I said, what do you mean? She said, there was no, no six grain, no pumpernickel, no whole wheat. You're just a slice of white bread and a sandwich of life, which was a real dig and hardly a compliment. And I've told people over the years, you can't be a broadcaster or, or, or a, a professional speaker and think that you're going to be any good if you remain a slice of white bread on the sandwich of life. Uh, you know, uh, give me some six grain. Give us something. <laughs> give us some pumpernickel. But don't, don't be a slice of white bread on the sandwich of life because you will just blend in with all of the other sandwiches. You'll disappear. So, hmm. Yeah, you'll disappear. So that's why I always ask myself, uh, what went right there? And what went wrong? Why did it go wrong? Why did it go right? right? And what can I do differently the next time? Or how can I duplicate? I need to duplicate what I did that time. Maybe hard, 
but that's what I have to do. So you're always judging. I always judge myself against my own performance. You've done well in so many different things that this approach has obviously worked for you. That sounds like really good advice. Well, the signal, the signal that it's working is you get a new contract. <laughs> That's how you know. <laughs> I would like to bring up another thing that is related to this, but it's a slightly different variation. And that's this business of how as we get older or maybe, uh, you know, get an injury or something, we have to find a way to not do the thing that gives us the most happiness, right? I, you know, if I'm a runner, I just love it. I just, I yeah. look forward to it my whole life. When I had an injury, I had to run anyway, because that was the source of my happiness in the world. And so I would run through my injuries, but now I can't. What do I do now? Is life over or what? And I know that you've had some experiences like this. Yeah. Can yeah. you tell us about this? Yeah, I was a, I became a runner, a very heavy plodding runner, but just taking off by myself and, and going out onto a lonely road in the country was great. I, I loved it. And I would, did the odd half marathon and the odd 10 K, but it was just that, that release of endorphins mm. that happens when you run long enough and hard enough that was so wonderful. And I, I remember saying to my wife more than once, I don't know what I could, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't run anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, that day came, I had to have a knee replaced and I was strongly advised not to go back running on a replaced knee. Mm -hmm. So they said, take up cycling. Mm -hmm. And I loved cycling. It was sort of a hybrid mountain bike and lived in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So there were a lot of hills. And then I developed an issue with my lower back. I had I have a herniated disc and my SI joint just became super inflamed when I rode the bike. And I thought, oh my God, now what? Now what I'm going to do? Well, I ended up finding steeper hills that I could walk. And at my age, and, and where we live now, because we live at 4,000 feet of elevation, mm. that's high enough that it's hard to breathe. And I walk mountains. Mm. And that, I, I found something. I, I told you that I'm the eternal optimist. Mm -hmm. And I always believe there's, there's something out there. If this doesn't get it, there's something else that will get it. And there, there's a, there are months of emotional modification, you know, and you, you hope not to fall into depression, but if we're optimistic enough to continue looking through the windshield at what's out there and not worry about the rear view mirrors, which it's so easy to do. So many people go, I remember when oh, I wish I could, you know, I used to do this, that accomplishes nothing mm -hmm. for me. And I don't think it accomplishes anything for anybody else. So I'm a windshield guy. There's always something gonna, I'm gonna see something if I look through the windshield every day, that's gonna be really interesting. And I can come up with a way to do some, to do some exercise, to do some event, to have something in my life that is not an exact duplicate of what was like pushing my body playing in the NHL or running when I retired or biking when I retired, but, I, but it's there, I've got something. So 
when we go through the, those those couple of months, maybe of depression and of we we have to c- consistently and constantly be looking for that that it. What is it? What there's something out there that I know I can do that's going to make my heart beat fast. As long as you're looking out the windshield, you can find it. Yep, not the not the rearview mirrors. There we go. That is fantastic. I wanted to bring up the arc here, Bill. But before I transition into this part of our conversation, is there anything else that you think this audience here, the older athlete, ought to know that we haven't touched on yet? Well, for the sake of of children, and I'm talking about people of any age, please, please don't try to derive vicarious satisfaction out of your children's performances. Hmm because I've, I coached soccer for a number of years and I saw these driven young athletes whose dads would stand on the sidelines and if they screwed up on the field, I would watch them look over at their dad and their dad just be shaking their head and the kid would be crying on the field trying to play. So there's that element of adults, of grown-ups living vicariously through their kids and when their kids perform poorly, they pay hell, and, it, and it's so difficult on the children. So that's a, a real interesting tangential thing that can happen, especially if somebody's getting old and they start living vicariously through, through something else or someone else. Then all of a sudden, you, you've given your self-esteem to somebody else to control yeah. up and down. But the, 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 the only other thing that I would say, Joe, is be realistic. Set realistic goals. And if you think you're hitting your head on the ceiling and can't do it anymore, can't go any further, can't lower your time, can't walk further, be realistic in asking yourself one question. Is that ceiling that I'm hitting my head on made of glass or concrete? Hmm. And if it's concrete, there's nothing else you can do. Modify your expectations, right? Hmm. It's okay to modify your expectations. You're getting older. Admit that, acknowledge it, and reset the bar to a different level. If the ceiling is glass, put a helmet on and push through it. You're not finished yet. There you go. You know, you can do it. Fantastic. Right? But be honest. Same if you're in sales. Well, I've, I've hit, I'm hitting my head on the ceiling. Is it made of, I asked my son this recently. Is it made of glass or is it made of concrete? He said, Dad, I, you know, let me, let me think about that. I'll give you an answer tomorrow. He said, I think it's glass. Then, then break through it. You, you can do it. If you know it's glass, break through it. Yeah. If it's not, reevaluate and reset your goals and be as, be as good as you can, whatever you want to be. Or change sports, change events, change companies. You know, if you think you can do it better someplace else, you have to be realistic with yourself there too. Because there are a lot of people that say, ah, this company screwed me up. I could do better over here. Well, guess what? That grass that you think is way greener on the other side of the fence is very often Photoshopped grass, Hmm. okay? Hmm. So be realistic. Bill, that's good advice. Thank you, sir. Okay, so let's talk about the arc. And the reason I want to bring it up is because that's how we met. Yeah. And before my wife started working there, I had not heard of it. And having exposure to it through my wife, I'm very impressed by this organization. So I I want to give them just a little bit of airtime here. And I know that you're involved in that organization. 
I wanted to read something that I got from the website so people here listening, if they didn't know what the ARC was, they would have some idea of it. And so I'm reading something I got from their website. It was, the ARC is the largest national community-based organization advocating for and with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and serving them and their families. The ARC was founded in 1950 by parents who believed their children with intellectual and developmental disabilities deserved more to be included in their communities and to pursue fulfillment and happiness just like everyone else. Yeah. And you're on the board here for the ARC in your community, which is the one that my wife works in. What would you say about the ARC, Bill? Well, first of all, it's way different than it was before your wife came on board. Uh, because if you want to talk about enthusiasm, and I was at a meeting with your wife, Susan, yesterday, we left together and I said, you know what the greatest asset a leader can have is? She said, no, I said, enthusiasm. Hmm. And you have that. That is why the ARC is, and we have an executive director, a new executive director that is enthusiastic. So our organization, which helps intellectually and, and developmentally uh, disabled people, we have a daughter, uh, my wife Sissy and I have a daughter, Reagan, who's in one of the group homes hmm. here. And she now refers to it as her home, hmm. not living with us anymore. She, she lives there. It's a labor of love for any of us who get close enough to the guys, close enough to the, the programs that we create and that we try to uh, implement and, and, and help all of, our, all of our guys, all of the members of the ARC live normal lives. Our daughter, Reagan, works at Burger King, one of the Burger Kings in town. There's another Burger King, that one of the other guys. We, I remember when we first met uh, the group home coordinator, who's female, she said, I hope it's okay with you. We call everybody here male or female, the guys. And I said, that's fine. That's fine with us. Uh, so many opportunities are created. And originally, you know, the ARC was originally an acronym that, that stood for the Association of Retarded Citizens. Hmm. That, over the last few years, became something that we wanted to move past. It didn't mm -hmm. sound really as politically correct as it should. Mm. Um, so now it's capital A, small r, small c. But we do so many things in the community for our guys. We, we, we try to help. We, we try to change the perception that the rest of the world has about our guys. Because it's funny. You know, Old movies about Martians and spaceships that came down and, you know, these creatures would get off the spaceships. The first thing that, that humans tried to do was kill them, right? <laughs> Shoot them, kill them, but only because they didn't understand them. Mm -hmm. And there are so many guys that live in our group homes that as soon as people are exposed to them, they understand how brilliant they are, the goodness they have. They might not be packaged the way they think, you know, other people are packaged. They don't look the same. But once you get to know them and are exposed to them even a little bit, you realize how wonderful and how giving and how vital they are to everything that happens on this planet. So it's a labor of love. I know it is for your wife. It is for me. It is for everybody that is involved with the art. Um, hopefully you can push a few viewers to the website so that they yeah. see what it is. I hope so. And... Um, it's, it's just a labor of love, you know, as it, uh, and our, our daughter Reagan is the most optimistic person every day. Hi, dad. She calls. I say, hey, 
How'd you sleep last night? Oh, great, Dad. How was work today? Awesome, Dad. This man, this guy gave me a tip. Like every day is the best day of Reagan's life. That's great. Which is so wonderful. And at, at times I've said to, to different people, and I've I've used Reagan as an example of optimism in, in some onstage speeches. And I said, it's I don't know how it's possible, but it is that every day in Reagan's life is better than the day before. Like, how good can they be? Because they get better and better and better and better. And it's a, it's a labor of love. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Maybe we all could do better at that. No question. Yeah. It's funny. I but we were on vacation. Our flight into England was canceled, and then our flight home from New from uh, uh, Ireland, uh, three of them were canceled. So we had to find hotels. I was in the emergency room with what I thought was pneumonia halfway through the vacation. Spent half a day at the hospital, and I thought, boy, this isn't the best vacation. But then, you know what I thought of? I thought of people that were say missionaries. Their stories of people that have been captured in the jungle. And the people that captured them were looking for ransom. And they spent six years in captivity. Ouch. And I thought, this isn't that bad. Yeah. All the canceled flights, I'm coming out of the hospital with some medicine. The vacation wasn't ideal. But think of the people that spent six years in captivity in a jungle. Yeah. You know, and and then my my day turned. I was good after that. There you go. It's all perspective. Yeah. I'll wrap up here with something that I read said about you, and I think that it's true. And so I wanted to essentially steal it. And it's this, that I heard you described as the number one truth teller from the sporting world and beyond. And I got to say, hmm. I think that's true, Bill. So thank, thank you, you for spending some time with us. Oh, gosh, Joe. Anytime. Would love to do it again take a right turn and, <laughs> and get, get, get on to some other meat and some other subject matter, but thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you were great. Thanks, Bill. Have a good one. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining my conversation with Bill Clement, the number one truth teller. Bill is truly a magnificent guide to finding a path to optimism, to setting goals that lead to satisfaction and reward, to finding joy and using our bodies well. You can find more information about Bill and the art in the show notes. And be sure to leave us a review. Let us know how we can do better. Thanks again.